0: Be making your way to First Timothy, if you will, chapter number one. Should get back to your seat. First Timothy, chapter number one. First Timothy, chapter number one. I want to do. I don't know that we'll do this throughout the book of uh, First Timothy, but um, here in the first chapter, the last couple of books, I've given you the division of the chapter. We've read the entire chapter and given you the four divisions of the chapter, and then um, and then come back and deal with dealt with um, wherever we have left off and picked back up. Uh, We're looking at, again, where Timothy's work is set before him, verses 3 through 11 of 1 Timothy 1. But you'll remember in verses 1 and 2, there's a well-established bond that is united brethren, connected brethren. Look at verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, you'll find Paul the Aged. Verse number 2, you'll find Timothy the Younger. Timothy is 30 years younger than the Apostle Paul. Verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and, Jesus Christ, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I won't... Try to single the gentleman out, but one of our brethren I heard uh, pray. I encouraged you, tried to exhort you to pray for your loved ones. And I heard one of our men pray last week for this grace, mercy, and peace. If you were here that Wednesday, I found myself praying this along this line for my family, my family members. As I pray for them, I found myself praying this for you and yours. So verses one and two, there's a well established bond connecting brethren. These opening considerations. Verses three through eleven, there's an obvious work in which Timothy is to engage. You'll look at verses three through eleven, and that's where we are tonight. The Bible says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. In verses 12 to 17, Paul's going to give us a personal witness. Uh, you note this. He writes in verses 12 to 17, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise god be honor and glory forever and ever amen then lastly verses 18 to 20 there's a warfare in which Timothy is to engage you notice he writes verses 18 to 20 this charge i commit unto thee son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou mightest by them that thou by them mightest war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck Of whom is Simonis and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul's first imprisonment, after his first imprisonment, of course, he traveled to Ephesus. He spent some three years there, according to Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28 and 31. Uh, He spent some three years there. He saw the need to go on into Macedonia and preach the gospel, preach the word. He did that. He left Timothy behind. Uh, to preach to preach the Word of God uh, to the congregation at Ephesus, so he left uh, the congregation in able hands, able hands, that being the hands and care of Timothy. he, he divides uh, these verses here are divided into three: um, there is first of all, there is a storm to be weathered, false doctrine has entered into the church into the congregation. And any time you expose false doctrine, you do that through preaching true doctrine, sound doctrine. If you want to expose a crooked stick, lay a straight one down beside it. If you want to combat false doctrine, put sound doctrine out there. If you were to hire in at Renaissance or First Choice or Cadence here in Polotok, you would become very familiar with our currency. So much so that when something false would pass through your hands, you would immediately spot it. That's why we believe in preaching the word for what it is, where it is in context. So, Timothy, there's a storm to be weathered. Timothy, there's a flock to be fed, verses 5 through 10. And then, Timothy, there's a gospel to be preached, verse number 11. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. This whole section here, uh, really, three verses sums it up. Watch verse 3, verse 5, and verse 11. We're going to read it just like that. We're going to leave the other ones out, and we're going to come back to the other ones. Watch this. Here's the whole bulk of this section. Here's the thrust. Here's the theme. Here's the gist of it all. Watch verse 3. He writes, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine." Now watch verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That word charge in verse 3 and the word commandment, verse 5, come, to, come from the same root word. Now watch verse 3 again. Watch this. Now you can interchange the word commandment with the word charge and the word charge with the word commandment. You do no harm to the text. comes from the same word. Watch this. Watch verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest command some, charge some, command some, that they teach no other doctrine. He continues that thought in verse 5. Watch it. Now the end of the charge does no harm to the text. Now the end of the commandment, the end of the charge or the commandment is charity. Go down to verse 5. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Anytime the gospel is misplaced, the charge is Uh, to preach sound doctrine to combat that the charge in verse 3 is the commandment in verse 5 and the end of it all the goal of it all is of course underlined in verse 5 but the uh, but it is the gospel the blessed gospel of our lord first of all there's a storm to be weathered verses 3 and 4 and we've already talked about the place of the storm it's ephesus Timothy's being left at Ephesus, his role of pastoring the flock would bring stability. His role in preaching to the flock would produce spiritual maturity. The particulars of the storm, there were errors propagated in the church body. You note verse number 3 with me, the end of the verse, there's false doctrine or false teaching that is being promoted. Verse number 3, the end of it, that thou mightest charge some that that they teach no other doctrine. There's a charge involved. you remember that? That's a commandment. Make it known. Make it clear, Timothy, what the Word says. There's a calling involved. He said, teach them. He said, teach no other doctrine. Call people to what's right, Timothy. Call them to what's right. If they reject that, that's on them. But it's your responsibility to call them to what's right. False doctrine, false teaching. Verse 3, fables and endless genealogies in verse number 4. The Bible says, "Neither give heed to fables, here it is, in endless genealogies. Fables are inventions of the mind. It's what a fable is. It's something that's been imagined. It's something that's maybe been pulled from the air. Something's been assumed in the mind. Something's been perceived, but yet is not real. It's a fable. It's something that profits no one. Fables and endless genealogies. It was an endless thing with them, never-ending arguments. Verse, uh, verse number four. Watch again uh, the effects on the church body. Watch what this ministers. Verse number four. The end of verse four. Which minister questions rather than, instead of, as opposed to. Watch this. Which minister questions false doctrine, fables, endless genealogies. They minister that ministers questions rather than. Godly edifying, which is in faith. And so brings about division and confusion, rents and tears in the bodies, in the body of Christ. So it brings about an unscriptural end rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. Which is in faith. So the purpose of our being here tonight is for godly edifying, right? I'm looking forward to watching some of the bowl games coming up over the next few days. Some of you are too, fellas. That's not why we're here tonight. I've hunted four afternoons so far this year. And hunting season, that's not why we're here. Not all of us can hop up on good deer like Jay Pruitt and his son Colby. They have so far. Um, but That's not why we're here. We're here to hear from the Word. Anytime that's misplaced, we're here and we're out of place. Anytime that's misplaced... Let me remind you of some verses of scripture. Now, there's a storm to be weathered. False doctrine. False doctrine. Storm to be weathered. You've got to lay true doctrine out there. You've got to preach true doctrine. Sound doctrine. There's a flock to be fed, verses five to ten. Let me give you some verses you're familiar with. Second Timothy four, two. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Second Timothy three, verse sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, in other words, complete, whole, mature, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Acts 20, verse number 28 says, Take heed unto, thy, uh, unto yourselves unto all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. What's a church supposed to look like? 1 Timothy will give you a good look at that. We'll provide you a very clear answer of that. Watch verse number 5. He's saying to Timothy, as he writes this, there's a goal to be remembered, Timothy. There is a purpose, Timothy. Uh, You're not just wandering aimlessly and flapping your gums. There is is an end that we're looking for, Timothy. There's a goal. There's something out there that we're shooting for, Timothy, that we labor for. Watch verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. You are very familiar where Solomon in Proverbs 29 penned the words, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no end in sight, where there's no target shot for. Where there's no reaching for, not striving against, but striving together for. A reaching toward, a pressing toward together. He says, now, the end of the commandment is charity. Look, if you will, turn back. I referred to this a couple of Wednesday nights. Go back to Ephesians 4. And you know where we're going with this, only to read the verses, but to remind you. If we don't know why we come to church, how are we going to know that uh, we got what we showed up for when we leave? What's the purpose in our gathering? It's seen over and again in the New Testament. But I tell you, it's really underlined here in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Watch this. Now You've heard us all say that there are, there are chapters in the Bible. You've heard me refer to 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. 1 John chapter number 4 can be referred to as the love chapter or a love chapter. There's the faith chapter, right? Hebrews chapter number 11. We were in the book of Job and we came to chapter number 3. We called that the why chapter. Over 400 times you find the question why. Ask in scripture, Job asked why. Some four times in two verses, why? Why did you let me see the Light of day, why didn't I die while I was yet in my mother's womb? And here, Ephesians chapter number 4 could be called the church chapter. Watch verses 11 to 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some, notice the compound here, pastors and teachers are one and the same. Verses 12 to 16, here's why. He said, four. here's why the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into, uh, come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a whole man, a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby... They lie in wait to deceive. Verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying. I love that word edifying. You hear it from me from time to time. unto the edifying of itself. In love. The, the goal here is clearly stated. Back to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 1 verse number 5. Look at it here with me. Timothy's objective in staying, remaining behind at uh, Ephesus as Paul moves on to Macedonia. His objective is clearly stated here. Look at verse 5. What's the, verse, the first part of the verse? Now the end of the commandment. Timothy, the charge I wrote to you about in verse 3. The commandment I've already spoken of or mentioned The end of that, the goal of that, is charity, agape. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There are nine facets to the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, it's in the singular. It's a ninefold grace. If I'm following, if the Spirit of God is leading in my life, you'll find love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's just part of the faceted, multifaceted part of life. I see that often in you believers, don't you? I mean, they're glowing, look like they, um, look like you put a spotlight on the inside of them and turned it on. And you begin to see the working of the Spirit of God, even in a young believer. And you see all that operative in their life. The end of the commandment is charity. The goal, the purpose, the aim, the ultimate result that we're shooting for, the end of the commandment is charity. i tell you, the love of Christ, the love of Christ... Um, You don't have to advertise that, do you? You don't have to advertise that. You either have that or you don't. Uh, You're either interested in his being magnified in and through your life or you're not. Same with our church, our families. We're either interested in that or we're not. That's paramount or not in our lives. Notice the goal. Uh, clearly manifested in lives. Now, false teachings, we've already seen it implied. Verses 3 and 4, false teachings, false doctrine, fables, uh, endless genealogies, even endless arguments, that type of a thing. will bring about strife and division, questions, uncertainties. Um, of course, that's always in man-centeredness. Brother Ronnie and I were talking. Brother Chris was out. Brother Chris Wilburn We're standing out front. He come in before we did. We were talking about uh, this fellow. You talk about being about self. He's going to be in Fulton, Mississippi soon. Used to be a good Baptist preacher, sought after Baptist preacher. And now he's got into this deliverance movement. And and he and I both got it out of our mouths, Brother Ronnie and I, about the same time. This fellow by the last name of Locke, Greg Locke. I mean, you can find him. Him and Benny Hinn are like that now to preach against him. And, uh, and I said, man, you talk about self-centered, all about the flesh. This guy is all about the flesh. He's the guy, some of you probably saw him on YouTube in the last presidential election. He was the one that was so vocal standing outside the White House under a small tent. said, God told him Trump won the election and Trump would be installed in the inauguration in July. What do you do with a false prophet? According to the Old Testament, if a guy misses his prophecy one time, he claims to be a prophet. There are no modern-day prophets as an Old Testament prophet. There are none, friend. There are none. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with Greg Locke, D.R. Harrison, them boys? What are you going to do with them? And then when COVID come along, he made some prophecies that have proven to be untrue. He's going to be in the deliverance movement over in Fulton. I imagine we're going to get a load up to go, aren't we? There are very few people. I believe in the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. Either you listen to him or you don't. And either I listen to him or I don't. But I'm telling you, he's one fellow I'd love to chew on his ear just a little bit because of the false doctrine that he has promoted. He's done much harm to earnest seekers. He's done much harm. But uh, false teachings, usually they're man-centered. But the teachings of the Word, the Word of God will produce the love of Christ. That's what verse number 5 tells us. The love of Christ in the believer's life. The end of the commandment. The goal, the end of it. If we're submitted to the working of, of the Lord in our life and, and, and adhering to his scripture, the end, he says, of the commandment is charity. Now, how's that manifest? Number one, out of a pure heart. Andrew Telford, I quote him just now, Telford said this, he said, A pure heart is one that has been made pure by the purifying power of the word as faith lays hold upon it. A pure heart does not, um, does not retain or hold on to unworthy motives. I'm here tonight because I love Jesus Christ. This was supposed to wear off um, 33 years ago. I was supposed to get over it 33 years ago. I hadn't got over this yet. I've been doing what I'm doing tonight for 33 years. One fellow trying to undermine a pastor here in Pontotoc County who is at a church now. He talked to me about supporting a particular movement he was involved in. I said, I'm not coming. And I love the old boy. But I said to it. I said, you owe that preacher an apology, and you may owe that church an apology for the disruptions that you have caused. And um, this thing of this thing of um, this thing of of, uh, of of motive of motive. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our motives are going to be examined. And why I'm gathered here tonight, what I've got to say to you tonight. The motive behind every bit of that is going to be examined. And God, help us to have the right motive. The motive that motivates me to do what I'm doing is the love of Christ. I want to see souls saved, don't you? I want to see homes helped, don't you? I want to see young converts strong in the faith, don't you? Is that why you're here tonight? Surely it is. A pure heart. A pure heart. It's also manifested, he says, and of a good conscience. Conscience of a man. Is that part of our being? You had your conscience before you were saved. Lost people have a conscience and saved people have a conscience. So I'll tell you what your conscience will do. It will sit in judgment of self. That's what the conscience does. And um, if we have a sensitive conscience, the Spirit of God doesn't have to do a whole lot of work in our lives, Right? We'll be pricked in our conscience when something isn't right. Um, the conscience will hold us, my conscience and your conscience too, will hold you accountable to the highest standard that you're aware of. If you know something to be right and you don't do right, uh, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The conscience sits in judgment and discernment in my life and in your life. Isn't that amazing how God built that in there? You say, "Preach! you don't know anything about my life. I know that much about it. And you know that much about mine. The conscience will do that. A good conscience. A good conscience. Paul, over and again in his writings, um, uh, he, he refers to his conscience. He calls on his conscience, the witness of his conscience. He says also in verse number 5, and of faith unfeigned. Where does faith come from? It comes from the Word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith unfeigned, and a faith unfeigned. Our faith is developed through the word of God and our convictions over its truth. Unfeigned faith means without hypocrisy and without pretense. Isn't it amazing? There's a settledness about the people of God who believe what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ. And believes what the Bible has to say about the principles taught in the Scriptures. The faith and fame. Notice the enemies to be resisted. Verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, from which some. You remember we were laying some groundwork for 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. That word some, all but I think one time, uh, has a negative connotation to it. Verse number 3, back up there, it says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Watch verse 6. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. I'm not going to pull my keys out, but I could pull my keys out and rattle them and try talking, and you wouldn't get it, would you? You remember about the love of Christ, the agape of Christ? The Bible says if you have, um, uh, if you know all the mysteries of God, and yet you don't have love, you're as a a clanging symbol, if you will. What if I had two? Uh, what if I had two cymbals banging them together tonight? You couldn't hear it, could you? You couldn't hear what I had to say. So it is regarding the love of Christ. If we don't have the love of Christ, we are absolutely nothing. Nothing. Well, Brother Billy Kanoa said years ago, he said, a Nothing is a zero with the rim knocked off of it. Isn't it amazing? Um, I'm thinking about some preachers who went before me, who was a big help to me. Very big help to me in the early 90s. They're now in eternity. Some of them were not, uh, they certainly were not educated in a Bible college or seminary. But boy, they sure did have the love of God about them. And God honored their ministries and their preaching and their leadership because of it. We were preaching through 1 Corinthians 13 while COVID was still red hot around here in our area. Remember, we said that if we had a page, a sheet of paper, and on every line on the front and the back, you put zero plus zero plus zero down the front of the sheet, all the way down to the back, you get to the bottom corner, you put equals zero plus zero plus zero plus zero. That's all you got. All you got's a big zero at the end of it. But if you could take that sheet of paper and start with a zero, go to every line on the front and the back, get down to the bottom, And just before you get finished, you put zero plus zero plus zero plus zero. Flip the page, zero plus zero. Down to bottom, you put plus one. You come out on the positive. So it is with charity. I'm not talking about the name of our church. I'm talking about the name of the love of God. If you've got that, you can go a long ways in the work of Christ. Charity. Verses 6 and 7, which from, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain janglings, like rattling your keys, making a racket, but uh, yet no purpose in it. Verse number 7, desiring, you see that, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. No, no, no doubt the thrust of the false teachers, now there's no doubt uh, by the implication of these verses. That the thrust of these false teachers was that they had infiltrated the church at Ephesus. And they had taught a works-based salvation. No doubt about that according to context here. Now a brief description of the enemies is given in verse number 6. Those that were spreading falsehoods in the church. Number 1, they deviated from the truth of Scripture. Watch this, verse 6, from which some having swerved, means to miss the mark. Means just what you think it does. Means to deviate. Uh, means to not hold in priority what should be. W.M. Hubbard said the word swerved actually comes from a word, a medical term, which means to twist out of joint, to remove from something's place. They miss the mark. It was not because they had not heard the truth. Paul had been there for three years. They heard the truth. But yet they took it and went in a different direction. That's the danger of an apostate in the book of Jude. They use our same, they use our vocabulary. But they define our words differently. Make it to say something it doesn't say. Watch this deviated from the truth of Scripture, detoured from the teachings of Scripture. Watch what he says. from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto or pursued vain jangling. Um, The interpretation of Scripture is always obvious, right? There are passages of Scripture maybe you don't understand or I don't understand. It doesn't mean it isn't true. It's just that we don't understand it. But I say what we said three or four weeks back. The scriptures are of no private interpretation. You can understand it and I can too. Scripture that is, if we so desire. A brief description of the enemies from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Watch the desired preeminence. The desired preeminence of the enemies. Watch this, desiring to be teachers. There's the preeminence that is desired here. Desiring to be teachers. Listen to 3 John. There are three fellows that are mentioned in the little epistle of 3 John, right? There's Gaius, there's Diotrephes, and there's Demetrius. Um, Concerning Gaius, uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, John, John wrote to the elder and to the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Uh, Regarding Demetrius, toward the end of, Toward the end of the chapter, verse number 12 of 3rd John, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. In other words, you know who he is. But then there was Diotrephes right in the middle of them. Listen to this. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receive us not. 3rd John, verse number 9. Listen to James chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. What does that mean? That means to whom much is given, much shall be required of us pastors, Sunday school teachers, we who handle the Word of God. Uh, it's not that the ministry, that we went looking for the ministry, it came looking for us. I would tell any young man that's, matter of fact, told a young man between two and three months ago, right over here on a Friday evening, you can do anything else. You just need to do it. Forget about the ministry, just stay clear of it. Brother Andy Russell was wrestling with the call to preach many years ago, and I had a brotherhood I was speaking at. And we worked together at Action, so he knew I was speaking at a brotherhood. And he asked if he could pick me up and ride with me. I said, sure. I thought we were just going to brotherhood. And we get back in my front yard, and we sat there for a few minutes, and he was wrestling with the call to preach. He was wrestling because uh, he felt like uh, anybody could do it better than him. He was wrestling with it because his daddy was a sought-after preacher. He was preaching a lot in Arkansas and here in our area in those days. And he said, what would you say? And I said, Brother Andy, I said, Andy, I said, forget about it. Go home, forget about it. He said, what?" Well, I said, forget it. Just forget it. Put it out of your mind. Go home. Go to Sunday school and church this morning and forget about it. And about two weeks later, he called me after a Sunday morning service at Friendship. And he said, Preacher, he said, I couldn't forget about it. And I said, well, that was the whole goal of it all. The ministry, the preeminence desired. God help us. um, These false teachers, they desired to be teachers. But verse number 7 says, understanding neither what they say, nor, nor whereof they affirmed they were using the law to try to arrest the saints. He'll go on down here in verse number 9 and say, I believe it's verse number 9, we'll look at it just a moment, maybe it's verse number 8, the law is not made for a righteous man. In other words, you don't have to tell a good neighbor to be a good neighbor. You don't have to tell a law-abiding citizen what the civil law is or what morality is. You don't have to tell them that's not made for them you don't have to restrain him nor her the preeminence is undeserved they want to be but they're not deserving why well the bible says here "Desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm thomas watson said he said it's the empty bottles that make the greatest noise charles simeon the old anglican Said there are no persons so dogmatical than those who have espoused or wed themselves to some favorite theory of religion. Jeffrey Wilson had this to say: He said, "With such superficial confidence, they announce their error with the stubborn assurance that is born of arrogance." Now, don't you listen to me just a second? Arrogance and ignorance usually are wed and walk the same sidewalk together. God help us know what the Bible says. God gave us one book, just one, just one book. And God help us know what it says. Let me illustrate what I'm saying, and I'll close with this. In the first pastorate, uh, things were red hot. Am I right, Marcia? I mean, things were just red hot. One year, there were 30 professions of faith. The church at least doubled in size. I could have got up and preached on yabba-dabba-doo and Brenda Eubanks would have shouted, Am I right? Amanda didn't vouch for that. Folk were excited about the things of God. Um, the second year in, we saw a few more professions of faith, and, and things were still going well, and there was a, a couple I'd gone to school, Amanda and I had gone to school with a man. I knew he had a church of God background. He was as excited as the rest of us were. He asked me one Sunday evening. He said, after service at the door, he said, "Would you come by our house?" I said, "Sure." I thought he wanted to talk to me about joining the church, and he did. We were closing in upon September, and September's when the church year would close out and the new church year begin. And so, we needed a teacher or two in the church. This is what he said. He said, "Never heard of." Pastor, he hadn't heard many when he said this, no doubt. He's never heard a pastor say so much, a Baptist pastor say so much about the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, he said now, my wife could teach the adult ladies, and I could teach the teenagers. And he said, and and look, red flags went up. I didn't get up and turn his dining room table over. But he said, if y'all could just learn how to speak in tongues, I know what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We could help teach the church. And, and the church could be so much more. I called his first name. His Bible was there on the dining room table. And I said, uh, would you allow me to show you what you've been taught? And he said, sure. And I did. I showed him what he had been taught. His mom and dad raised his brothers and sisters in the Church of God background. I said, is that what you've been taught? He said, it is. I said, can I show you what's wrong with that in context? He said, sure. And I did. Went to Acts 2. And on the day of Pentecost, then I took him to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. And all the way through, I would ask him, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what's what's being stated here in the Bible? He said, I do. When I finished, I said, now. Tell me how you feel about tongues now. He said, Preacher, I don't care what the Bible says. I know how I was raised. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. To have no regard for the teaching of the Bible. Now, they wanted to be leaders. It says so, doesn't it? Desiring to be teachers. Desiring to stand up front to be out front, to lead, to teach, but they didn't even know what they were teaching. The Bible is true from beginning to end. The Bible is true. The Bible is the Word of God. If you aren't convinced of that tonight, I trust God will convince you of it. The Bible is where we get our instruction. Let's stop right there. If you'll stand, we'll dismiss in prayer.